Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, we want to welcome everybody back to the Life Success Legacy Podcast. My name's Chris Bay, joined by Michael Crawford and Mike Everett. Hey, guys, how are you? Hey, hey. Good morning. It's a little gray today, wet gray and actually here on what are we march 16th we're potentially supposed to get some snow later on today that ain't gonna happen you don't think so no it's gonna cut into your sunbathing out there on your new deck well i'm not as much worried about that as i am when they deliver the decking material them driving four thousand pounds across my yard and rutting it out yeah i'm more concerned about that i bet you are i bet you are. well by the way, Mike Everett, I don't know if we've recorded since you became a grandfather for the fourth time, I believe, right? Uh, four times, I'm telling you. Yeah. Got us a new little girl, Noah Faith, yesterday, or a week ago yesterday. So and she it, is a full, strong seven and a half days old. <laughs> so you've got to wait another seven and a half days before you can get a policy on Noah. I'm telling you, it, it's coming quick. In fact, my daughter just sent me a new... Good morning, Pops. Picture of this sweet little girl. We were able to go over Tuesday night and hang out. And I'm telling you, right here, right mm-hmm. here, she just melted. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Or maybe she melted me. I don't know which. Just... <laughs> I, I think I know. <laughs> <laughs> and a happy birthday in the Crawford family. Milo turned yeah. eight. Eight years old. Yeah. Years wow. Old. wow. I can always track how long I've been with LSL because it's his birthday is just a few uh, weeks before I joined the team back. Well, team air quotes, <laughs> but uh, I joined the fray uh, back in 2015, <laughs> about three weeks after he was born. Cool. Oh, man. Cool. Well, um, today we thought we might jump into um, actual companies life insurance companies and what people should look like, look for in making those decisions. Um, And there's some different, you know, categories and things that as we think about it, bottom line is if you're working with a good IBC coach, they've done all this work for you ahead of time. That's correct. So the companies that we work with, we've already done the legwork for our clients, but we also are about education. And so for those education people out there that want to learn more about what are the things that we should be thinking about, looking about and so forth, we thought we'd talk about that specifically. You can do lots of Googles and, you know, just Google what are the top 10 life insurance companies for IBC, infinite banking, that kind of stuff. And you'll get a list. Um, And I've got personally, I've got policies with three of the top 10 companies. And I will tell you, my experience with those three companies has been very different depending on the company, (laughs) even though they're all in the top three, I probably would do work with two of the three, um, which we as a business do work with two of the 10 top companies. So thought we'd jump into uh, some of the things that we all have experienced either as a client or as an IBC IBC coach related to uh, the companies. Also through the lens of being Nelson Nash Institute practitioners, we have some criteria that Nelson Nash Institute has set upon us that we can only do work with certain types of companies. Mike uh, Everett, you want to start, start at that high level of Nelson Nash Institute um, recommends 
requires that we do business with certain types of companies? Well, uh, the bottom line is you got to look for a mutual company. Um, as, as most of the people know, because we talk about this in our boot camps, is there's stock companies and then there's mutual companies. We literally work only with mutual life insurance companies. And the reason is because as a mutual company, we as policyholders, we're stockholders in the company. So the bottom line is, do we want that company to make money? Yes, we do. And why would we want them to make money? Because they pay us dividends. Mm -hmm. And as stockholders of the company, they pay dividends. It's It really is that simple. Uh, I don't think it's complicated at all. Crawford, if you were trying to decide between a stock-held company and a mutual company, right, mm -hmm. would you want that company making decisions based on the benefits of the stockholders or the policyholders? Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, it, it's kind of funny that uh, that as many people do business with stock-held companies as they do. I, I, you know, I find that interesting in general, um, you know, outside of IBC even, just uh, from the yeah. perspective of... I enjoy working with my local credit union, which is sort of like a co-op as well, you know, Likewise. and um, I think that it's a, I think that it maybe is a no brainer to people who've been around it, but, you know, for those listening, uh, you know, the, the reason Nelson, you know, and the, and the Institute is so like strict about that is because it is the benefit of the policy holder. It's the contract between you and that company and their responsibility back to you is more important than their responsibility to an additional stockholder. And ultimately mm. if I'm in business with somebody. I want that relationship. I mean, if you think about the five of us on our team, not only do we all have individual skills and goals and, you know, um, talents and whatnot, but all of those work to benefit one another. And, you know, yeah. that's, that's sort of the same principle behind the mutual company in my mind is that mm -hmm. they're doing things on the back end that are mutually good for the rest of us. Yeah. You see gonna... what a great, what a great analogy that was. Wow. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. I like <laughs> that. So it's interesting. Um, because a stock company is going to be taking lots of things into consideration, you know, like um, bonuses for executives mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, all these things that are out there. And, and I found this piece of information, um, which I don't think we've ever talked about, but from 2008 to 2014, publicly traded insurers increased life insurance assets. So publicly traded being stock companies increased their life insurance assets 1.9% a year on average. While during the same time frame, mutual life insurance averaged 6.6%. Mm. Interesting. So, so bottom line is we only work with mutual companies. That's it. That's it. Um, and, and given a couple of reasons why that is, we just find that it's, it's beneficial to the, to the policy owner. Next area that I want to talk about is performance history. And so now we get into like, the numbers, the cash values and the dividends and death benefits and all that. And, and Mike Everett, back in the day, you did a lot of comparisons and digging into the numbers and looking at illustration designs and things like that. Mm. What did you learn? And now Crawford, I'll just, I mean, mm. you have added a whole nother level to that and digging into the numbers. Right. What are the things that you guys look for when you're comparing between, let's just say two companies and the numbers? MC, jump in there to start. Yeah. 
So maybe I'm looking at it, you know, through the lens. Most of the time, it's not just about the first year's cash value. Um, I think that all too often we get maybe, I don't know, rose-colored glasses or, or foggy lenses yep. um, when it comes to those first two or three years of a policy. But I, I always have it in the back of my mind um, from Nelson, from Mike Everett, from, you know, whomever, think long term, like it is not a race. And, and ultimately, I always remember the other thing Nelson said, there are no deals in life insurance, you know, like, yeah. and so if you put those two together in my brain, I'm looking at the long haul, you know, I mean, we think about Noah Faith and, and the policy that Mike is going to buy on her in a couple oh, of years a week. Um, um, Does he care how much cash value is available in he the does first not. two weeks? Right. But but furthermore, it's not even just about the fact that he's getting the coverage on on the new grandbaby. It is more in in my opinion, it is that that down the road, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, what does what are the policy or policies that he ends up getting on on her look like? And it harkens back to my original interview back when we were sitting in Mike Everett's basement and we were interviewing you guys were interviewing me about my, you know, being part of the LSL team. And I had just bought that first policy on Milo. And I just knew, I knew in my heart of hearts at that moment in time that he would never have to borrow money from a bank. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and you know, if you think about some of the things that we look at with these mutual life insurance companies, we're looking for stability. Mm -hmm. We're looking for how long they've been in business, how long they've right. been paying dividends, how long have they been around doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so we look at some historical uh, numbers that actually spell out whether or not, number one, they might be a good fit for the, uh, for what we're trying to do with IBC. Um, you know, and along those lines, we're looking for that mutual company we're looking for somebody who's paid dividends consistently for a hundred plus years. I want to touch on that because people ask about dividends all the time from my oh. view. And I'm curious what you guys would say when yeah. people ask, do you look at the dividend history of the life insurance company? My answer is yes, but I don't think it's what they think. I'm not caring about the rate of the dividends. I'm wanting no. to know the longevity how long have they been paying dividends? How consecutive? How many consecutive years have been been paying dividends? If it's 125 years, that's a pretty good track history when they've gone through all the ups and downs of our economy. Yeah. But do I pay attention to the rate of the dividends? I do not. You know, we have a number of people who come to the table and say, so-and-so is paying a 7 to 8% dividend. And then I go immediately, what is a dividend? Yeah. <laughs> a Let's dividend is a, yeah, a dividend is a return of premium. That's not me, me saying that, that's the IRS saying that. So really, if you think about a dividend uh, as a return of premium, depending on the company that you work with, really, the larger, bigger companies that are paying dividends, what they're doing is they're overcharging you for the cost of the insurance. And at the end of the year, when they show a profit after they've used your money the whole year, they give some of it back and then they go, we're giving you a seven to 8% return of premium or dividend. Now, and I'm going, 
well, I'm going, well, wait a second here. They're just overcharging them for the product. Yeah. That's really all it is. So 99% of the time when we're out really looking for a new carrier, a new insurance company, we personally don't care what their rate of dividend return is. We don't care. Yeah, because it doesn't make any difference. We're right here in the middle of track of tax season, right? Everybody's getting yep. 1099 statements and W-2 statements and dividend statements, all the things that people send. Uh, did any of you get a tax statement regarding your dividends from no. your life insurance policy? No, no, we did not. It's not a taxable event. It that is just not. further explains that the dividend is purely a return of premium. Whew. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. All right. So company history, reliability, those kinds of things, those are important. Those are kind of non-negotiables, right? Yep. Yeah. They then are. we get down into uh, flexibility. And this gets into product design, PUA options, how we can tweak the policy, those kinds of things. So with, <laughs> with our different experiences with different companies and policies, um, how does flexibility come into play in your guys' mind? Well, uh, just jumping in right right away, I remember in 2006 and 2007 when I was really becoming fully immersed. You know, when I first started in late 05 and early 06, it was just like, this was all brand new to me. It was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, my mind could not wrap around all this thing. And so what we did was, there was one afternoon, I think in spring of either 06 or 07, I don't know, it's been so long ago that you kind of forget what happened yesterday. But um, I remember sitting in the office and literally taking one of the companies that we represented and taking the policies. And, and first of all, what I did was I took the initial policy that, you know, illustration right out of the book and said, you know, what happens if we do this exactly like Nelson described in the book and do 40% in the base and 60% in the PUA? Mm -hmm. For those who are listening, most of you know what a paid up addition rider is, a paid PUA. But the paid up addition rider is, is really creating the flexibility to where somebody can actually utilize a policy loan against the value or equity in the policy. But that afternoon, I literally went from 40 to 40, 60, 50, 50, 60, 40, 70, 30. And then I went from 30, 70, 20, 80. And really what I was looking at is I was looking at not only the available cash value equity day one, but I was looking at it at years 20 and 30 because I wanted to see what was happening with the policy over those years. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I came to. And, and keep in mind, most agents do this at one point in time in their careers because they want to know. And let me tell you what it came back down to. It came back to the fact that Nelson absolutely 100% knew exactly how to design the policy on the front end to where it did exactly what we wanted to do it to, wanted it to do today but it kicked tailed 20 years from now 30 years from now 
So, and I, and I think furthermore, like even to add on to that is that, you know, the concept of these large paid up editions isn't really new, right? No, Nelson, it's not. Nelson didn't discover paid up editions. Those, those right. were around. But I think what he has done and what the Nelson Nash Institute and practitioners across the country, um, you've seen it in a few companies, especially those who are represented well at the think tanks that we talked about in our last podcast, is they have worked with practitioners to enhance the way the flexibility mm. of those paid up additions work. They've worked to enhance that early cash growth because that's the the early goal is like, you know, sometimes to be able to use those dollars to, we call it turning the wind current, right? You know, and so I think, you know, we've seen a transition in some insurance companies, especially those again, invested in I IBC, that they are helping agents like us create better policies for our clients, not just for today, but also for that 20 and 30 year window. You're not hunting for it like Nelson had to back in his early um, discovery days. And I, I would say that um, all the different companies, at least with my experience with the ones I've worked with, they have little bells and whistles, right? Yep. Little things that are different between the companies. For example, one company, um, the way we design policies, we, we recommend fully funding the base and the PUA for the first four years. And yep. starting the fifth year, we drop that down. Um, there's two benefits to that. It keeps you away from MEC issues going mm -hmm. forward. And two, it gives you the opportunity to franchise. Well, with one company, you can throw $100 a year at the PUA mm -hmm. and keep it as an open bucket in case you need some place in the future to dump some money, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a year-to-year -year kind of a thing. You can't go back and back pay PUA, but year-to-year, -year, 100 bucks will keep that PUA open. Whereas another company that we're working with, their PUA structure is completely different. And there's some parts of it that are really advantageous. But then there's other parts where like, wow, I wish I had the $100 option with this one. And I wish I had the overpaying option with this one, right? So they all have different bells and whistles. And I think about Nelson's words. And, and we just were talking about Nelson's would have been his 90th birthday. Yeah. And I think about his wisdom and how he said, the behavior of the policy owner is way more important than the behavior of the life insurance company. As long as you've kind of fallen within these companies that are invested in IBC. So yeah, Jim, go ahead. Mike. I actually think real, I, I think furthermore that like kind of like that comes down to education on our side that Mike talked about to open it up, right? Where in you, you and Mike, where we've done this research, Mike and you have done the research, you've invested time and energy into learning about the companies that we are um, that we are representing as a team, as an organization. And that education is trickling down through to our clients. And, you know, you know, that education is, is huge, right? You know, because it's a, it's kind of a murky world life insurance. Nobody really gets it unless you're in it. And then when you're trying to investigate IBC, it's easy to get stuck in the ruts of that dividend return. How fast does the cash value grow? Can I do a 90, 10 or a 20, uh, you know, uh, 80, 20 or whatever. And our education and our experiences are really the key to helping our clients become as successful as possible with mm. their IBC plans, right? Mm. So I think ultimately, like, as we talk about the insurance companies, we're really talking about the general education that we have that we pass along to our clients as an education company. 
Absolutely. Mike Ever, are you yeah. digging into something there? I, I'm going to tell you some of the things that crop. I went to page 35, which is use it or lose it, Yeah, where it really goes into detail about all the different things. But there are, on the second column on the right, they are going into a little bit more detail about economic value added. Mm -hmm. And it says right here, EVA works, but not if you make these common mistakes. So I'm going to read the five bullet points. Number one, they don't make it a way of life. Mm -hmm. So because of the way we were trained, we came in thinking about interest rates. We came in thinking about uh, uh, rate of return, rates of return, mm -hmm. all of the, the noise that Nelson used to call it, that we come to the table with. And we as practitioners also are affected by that noise. That's why principle number five, rethink your thinking came into the end of the picture later on after Nelson designed this. So they don't make it a way of life. We have to make it a way of life by, by what we educate our customers. They have to make it a way of life if they're going to utilize the policies as effectively as possible. Yep. Well, that's only bullet number one. Most managers try to implement EVA too fast. We are guilty as agents. The client is guilty as well. So helping them navigate when they implement IBC and utilize the effectiveness of IBC is critical in making IBC work for them and their family. So we want to make sure that as we're doing this, and we, we pick this up through the different processes that we put people through, but yep. really it, it comes full swing when we do the dream conversation and we design the plan. I mean, we know. The boss lacks conviction. So in a couple, one of, the, one of the couple takes the lead with IBC. But yet, both people need to be on the same page. That's why we do the dream conversation. Mm -hmm. So if all of a sudden we've got a couple that is not on board together, then IBC more than likely will not work for them. And so we've got to make sure that they're going to make it a way of life and that they have some conviction about the direction that they're going. Number four, managers fuss too much. <laughs> Do you think, and I'm, I'm bringing this back to basics here, managers, meaning the couple. Yeah. That means that they've got to be 100% on the same page because you and I both know, and we talk about this in our boot camp, Money is a source of contention in a, mm -hmm. in a marriage or in a mm -hmm. couple. If there's somehow, some way we can create a plan that kind of removes that, then all of a sudden the like-mindedness and the cohesiveness of IBC being implemented. And all of a sudden, guess what? They really do make it a way of life. We've got a ton of customers that have adopted this mindset. But here's the, here's the big one. And this is where I'm getting with life success and legacy training gets short shrift mm -hmm. we as an organization have a gigantic responsibility we call ourselves coaches we call ourselves teachers we call ourselves educators for a reason 
Because when somebody comes to the table to talk about IBC, I'm going to tell you what, we've got to do our due diligence and teach them at a very, very high level. This is why I love my life success and legacy team. Because just like Crawford said earlier, we all have these skills and, and mindsets that when we put ourselves together, I'm telling you what, it is one finely tuned oiled machine and it works. So I'm telling you, if we want this thing to work, then we as the coaches, as the educators, the mentors of these people who are walking into this uh into this new area of life and thinking about IBC, we got to do our jobs or, or we're not doing our due diligence and we're not being good for what we said we would do on the front end for each and every client. Sorry. I, I just went totally off there. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Woo. So we've talked about um, mutual versus stock companies. We've talked about performance history the stability of the companies. We've talked about the flexibility in the design, the PUA options, those kinds of things. Those are all things to take into consideration. Once you get down through all of those, there's one that, that I think is super important and that is suitability. And to me, mm. how I would define that, and I'd be curious to hear you guys' take on this with your different experiences with different companies. To me, suitability is buy-in. Are, is the company invested in IBC? Mm. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of times, um, you know, people will say, so can I, can, I just, can I just move money around on my app with the life insurance company? Like, no, <laughs> you can't do that. This is a life insurance company. This is not online banking, right? Right. And so some of the companies, the, remember, these are life insurance companies, Okay. Mm -hmm. They have not invested a ton of money in, in IT online stuff that people can use. They have not invested a ton of money in customer service and those kinds of things. So the companies that work best for me as an IBC person are the companies that understand we're going to be accessing our dollars from our policies. And they have at least some procedures in place to make that mm -hmm. reasonably easy for me. Right. Yeah. What have you guys, what have, what are some of the suitability pieces that come to mind for you guys with your policies and, and what you see with clients and companies? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right, Chris, you know, they aren't necessarily always on the forefront of the tech world. Um, that being said, the, you're seeing a bit of a shift, I think, where we have, I mean, um, more integrated like IT integrated and figuring out processes and, and putting things in place that don't make it like online banking, but it definitely makes it feel a little more like the rest of the things that we do in our life, which is almost exclusively online, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you're seeing that shift. Um, I think for me, a lot of it has to do with like clarity on their, on the pages. Like, so when I log in to check my accounts, right? Cause I'm, I'm a client as well. Yeah. I want to be able to relatively easily understand that information or navigate it. And I think as a techie person, that's important for two reasons. One, because I don't like to waste time, but two, it shows me that they are understanding that these aren't just stagnant items, right? That these are live living um, 
products for us that we constantly are pushing and pulling, adding more um, and being able to quickly do that on a, on a company's page or website, whatever is, is definitely something that plays a factor for me, for sure. Well, the think long-term comes into mind right away because there's a number of companies that have come to the table even after I have become an IBC coach. And so if you think long-term, when we explain IBC for the very first time to somebody, do they get it? They don't get it. The insurance companies come to the table and they come to the table with one thing in mind, profit. Yeah. It's all about moolah. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not discounting that because we've got to make money somewhere along the way. And we want the insurance company to make money too. But yet exactly what MC was talking about is they are learning some of the internal functions that our clients need to take advantage of along the way. So it becomes a long-term process for them. We, we've had to do that with both of the companies that, that we work with. I know for the, for one of them, they actually came to us and helped us and, and we helped them internally design with their actuarial staff of what does the policy need to look like and what are we trying to accomplish? I mean, then there's a whole lot of stuff that goes in there. But I know this this other company that we represent, they did that with another group of Nelson Nash practitioners. So part of what you're talking about, Chris, in this whole questioning is our customers need to be able to go in, and MC mentioned this and touched on it, they need to be able to go in and be able to function technologically with the computer to be able to look at what what are what are my cash values? What is the loan balance? What is my loan availability? They need to be able to look at all of these different things, and then they've got to be able to go into uh, a, a this is the wrong the the wrong terminology, but like an accounting. What payments have I made towards my policy loans? Yeah. What loans have I taken? So this way, there's no ambiguity, but yet this has been done kind of all along the way with all of these insurance companies because the ones that are coming to the think tank annually are figuring this kind of stuff out. Mm-hmm. It has been a very slow process yes (laughs) and you know it's it's frustrating for those of us that can see down the road 10 years yeah and that are fully immersed in ibc because this is what we do we've got to be able to say okay this company here this let me tell you what they've bought into it they've come and they've talked at the think tank they're actually on a panel it's really cool how how these companies have kind of made some internal changes to adopt the mindset of IBC. I wonder if Nelson ever thought that he would see the day of that, where not just companies showed up to the think tank, because he understood just as well as you do, or Chris, that they were there for profits in many ways, right? Looking to recruit new agents. But now they're sitting in on 
conversations. Panels. They're, they're, they're on panels. They're, they're working with yeah. agents from across the country to develop better tools or better products. Um, I, you know, I, I wonder if when Nelson was really like getting his feet set and trying to learn with, I mean, this is, he was doing it before computers were common. So there was, there, there, there was none of the stuff that we're talking about today, even in a, there wasn't a twinkle in their eye at that point, you know? And like, so I, I, I just would, I would have loved to ask Nelson that question, you know, like, did you ever imagine that it would have come to where we're at and, and see that the future is getting even more advanced and we're seeing so much more integration with IBC and some of these companies that are well invested. I'm, you know, I'm thinking it, about just a, a recent thing. One of the companies we work with, one of the, the qualities or attributes that we really liked about them is that you could actually make a phone call. As long as you have your bank information on, on file with them, you can call them and do a policy loan up to $15,000. And they just increased that up to $25,000 where you can just simply call and get that loan taken. And I asked Mike Everett, I said, hey, I need you to throw your weight around a little bit. Mm -hmm. Can you call this other company and tell them what this <laughs> other company's doing? And why do we still have to scan Sandana. and email yeah. a loan request when with this other company, I can just make a phone call? So, you know, there's those kinds of things. One of the companies that we've done a ton of work with, but they did some changes to their online access and you cannot actually see your loan availability at that point. Yeah. And it's super frustrating to our clients. It's frustrating to us, especially to Shelly, who does a lot of the policy service stuff for yeah. our clients. Yeah. Oh. And we're like, wow, how did they, when they updated their website, how did they miss this? Right? Yeah. So there's well, little pieces. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, no, I, always, good. I always think of like, I think one of you has said this before, so I'm stealing it, but it's like an insurance company is like the Titanic. They turn slowly. They don't, you know, they are not, there's not nothing about an insurance company that moves quickly. <laughs> they are not fast twitch muscles, as my dad would have used to say. Yeah, like, you know, right. they are, they are slow They're and linemen. They are linemen. They are long distance runners. And yeah. uh, I, I think I always have to, we have to remember that not only as agents, but we have to educate our people um, in that way where they can't expect, hopefully we've trained them to the point where they expect the insurance company to perform. Duh. We don't want them to be, uh, you know, non-responsive non to our clients, but we also have to understand that they are not online banking. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen in a GIF and that there are wheels on the back end that move differently at an insurance company than at another financial institution. So, yeah. you know, some of it's our impatience as well, because we're so used to click and do and being done, you know, like click, 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 it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a little bit of like additional training we have to do ourselves, right. To, to, to be, but to your point, Chris, like if they're not showing us the information we need, come on, what are you thinking? You know? Right. Exactly. Well, so with that in mind, throwing my weight around, I haven't actually moved in that direction yet, but what I did was I talked to a couple of our good customers mm -hmm. about the loan process. You know, when you go to do a policy loan, how cumbersome is it for you to fill out the loan form and email it to the company? Yeah. And I'm thinking of this couple up in Iowa because mm -hmm. I had a great conversation with her this week. And she said, it's easy as pie. She goes, 
I don't even have to do anything. And I'm going, well, that's the way we trained her to do this. And what have we done all along the way? And so most of the time, because Shelly has taken so much time and so much energy to educate our customers exactly how to take a policy loan, we've got some other customers up in uh, Nebraska, same thing. But then if you talk to somebody else who moves like Crawford and I do, (laughs) (laughs) we want to be able to just call somebody and say hey let's do it get it done see you later bye bye and uh once again these insurance companies move slowly absolutely so absolutely setting both sides both sides of the equation and one of the things that we've done as an organization and shelly always tries to uh and we reinforce this is when our clients are communicating with the life insurance company, we always encourage them to copy Shelly, whether yes. it's a loan request or a premium payment or whatever it is, so that she can kind of monitor that to maybe circumvent any issues that our client might experience. Right. Yeah. Um, because we, we, I mean, we have a higher level of interest in our clients being happy than probably the life insurance company does, right? And we yes. understand <laughs> what, what exactly is going on. So we always say, hey, any of your communication, just copy Shelly and, and she will be on that to make sure that it's happening. She'll get her done, I'm yeah. telling you. And then we have that that you know kind of paper trail that we can go back and historically say, hey, look, this was requested on this date and we haven't seen it come through or what have yeah. you. So. yeah. Any other thoughts or, or comments you guys would make regarding um, the different life insurance companies that kind of fall into that top eight or 10 um, range of companies, mutual companies that are good for IBC? I think well, it does yeah. just boil down to your coach's education level of that company. And I think due diligence on the part of the client, I mean, we all had due diligence, right? We all researched the companies, not only that we represent, but that we bought our own policies through, right? You know, Um, and so I think it is a fair thing for clients to have these deeper questions and want to know more. And it's okay, even I think if they want to know about the dividends or um, the the interest rates on the, the, the policy loans, things like that. I think that is, that is part of the education process. And that is part of understanding IBC and changing the ruts in our brain. But I think ultimately, if, if I'm really boiling it down, it matters more how you handle the policy. Just like Nelson said, it is less about the company and it is more about you. I mean, he even says it in his book that you can do this with a bank account. You can do it with the traditional. It is just the tool. The vessel is an and asset. And we get yeah. multiple uses of those dollars by using the life insurance policy. Mm. Well said. Professor I was going to say something, but I, I was going to say something, but Crawford stole the thunder and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. Well, as always, um, if you all have questions, our listeners, if you have questions um, uh, about your policy, and we have a lot of folks who started policies with companies or other coaches, and maybe they don't feel like they're getting the coaching that they want. Um, or maybe not getting their questions answered. We welcome those questions. Again, we are about education and we're more than happy to to support you and answer your questions, take a look at your illustrations, et cetera. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, like we always say, our coaching is, is free. 
Uh, we feed our families on life insurance commissions. That's how we feed our families. And so we organizationally have made a value decision that we will offer ongoing coaching to our clients at no expense. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you're not a client, come on. We're, we're we happy go. to talk about Love IBC. That's right. So to our listeners, please check us out. Um, we have an upcoming boot camp that will be um, virtual. That is April 22nd. You can find that on our website on the registration under learning events. Um, our, our website is lifesuccesslegacy.com. And then every other Monday ballpark, twice a month or so on Monday evenings, Mike Everett does a walkthrough, um, BYOB, Becoming Your Own Banker, <laughs> and then some additional things. We got, <laughs> bring we got books. Library. If, if books <laughs> are your thing, we got a variety of options. I, oh, I was just, I'll wrap up with this. Um, what I found kind of interesting, our dear friend, Sharon Smith, who is out on in Hawaii, um, of all the IBC books, um, she has found mine, and I'm not trying to toot my book because I actually think some of the other books are have more meat in them. But for her on the islands, she finds that history of oral tradition and the storytelling. And so it's actually my book that she uses with the people in Hawaii because the story Yep, family banking with purpose. The story behind it and the fact that it doesn't have any numbers or tables and things actually fits with their learning style more effectively. Um, I was just doing a, a meeting with a client who's um, recently gotten married and her husband is an engineer. Mm. No way am I sending him my book, right? <laughs> the guy wants numbers. Yeah. So, um, it all depends on learning styles and we try to have a variety of tools that can match whatever your learning style is, whether it's listening to these podcasts or watching these videos, whether it's a book with numbers, a book without numbers, whether you just want to pick up the phone and talk to somebody, Mike Everett is your guy. I mean, <laughs> we, we try to, uh, we try to have a menu of learning opportunities for our, for our people. So, yeah, but yep. we are grateful that um, you all come and join us. We're always surprised at our audience and how many people do stick with us on this information. Mm -hmm. If there's ever anything specifically that you would like to hear us uh, unpack and talk about, shoot us a comment. Um, mm -hmm. Give us a thumbs up, make a comment, download whatever it is that you do with your, your podcast and YouTubes. Uh, we'd appreciate that. And join us for our next episode of the Life Success Legacy Podcast. Mm -hmm.